we on? We are on. Hey y'all. How's it going? We are live. For week three. I think this is week three. Week three of Learning to Walk in the Dark. A book by Barbara Browning. That's right. Has guts to share this. Oh, here we go. <laughs> oh, won't take but a second. No, and we're probably just gonna jump into it real quick instead of um, waiting for people to hop on because there's a lot to talk about. There is a lot to talk about. Yes. Hello, Leah Carpenter. We love you. Whole bunch. Almost there. Here we go. There we are. Mick has shared the live. I have shared the live. We are live. live. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. I shared it twice. Again, for full transparency, I just finished reading today, started and stopped. Like this whole week, I think I had better accountability when we were going to do it every week. Yep. I, I just, you know, kids and homeschooling. I mean, we were homeschooling before, but it's, I don't know. Well, now, because like Ezra is in full kindergarten swing, so now I have two. And then I have to take care of Rowan while he's gone, and it kind of gets a little crazy sometimes. It can be fun. Well, it's very fun, but it's crazy. <laughs> and sometimes not fun crazy. Right. So, like she said, we're talking about uh, the book Learning to Walk in the Dark. And uh, Sunday I, I, I invited folks. I said, listen, if, if, you're, um, if you feel like you can't figure out what's up, from what's down, what, from what's left, what's from right. You feel like you're going through a dark season. Um, you feel like you're maybe even lost. Um, this is these are some good chapters to uh, yeah. talk about today. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I think that we're starting with chapter three. Yes. Starting which is three. hampered by brilliance. Mm -hmm. Yes. There it is. Um, and I always like to read the quote at the beginning. Go you know, some it. people don't read the quotes. Some people don't. They just go, go for it. And I'm like, you're missing something, you know? <laughs> okay, the quote is, We must enter into the universe of the galaxies and the light years, even at the risk of spiritual vertigo, and know what, after all, must be known by someone named Chet Ramo. Good stuff. Good stuff. Hi, Jason. I see yes. you. Hey, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> so, in this first chapter, she kind of... What I like about this book is she goes from, like, story time. Like, she's telling a personal story. She's talking about certain things. And then she jumps into some of the information. So she combines the two so you kind of help to learn. So this first section is kind of her uh, just talking a little bit about the dark and what happens at night. Mm -hmm. um, but something that really stood out to me was uh, when... Uh, when you start looking at uh, how we as just civilization at this point mm -hmm. do not like nighttime. Whoops. That was our vacuum falling. <laughs> 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 
But we don't like nighttime, so what we do is we go out of our way to bring in artificial light. Uh, and why don't we like darkness? Why don't we like darkness? Because we don't have all the daytime bright shiny things to keep us from feeling and right. thinking so that's why we don't like it right so we want we want some distractions and mm -hmm. so we bring all that in and and we'll get into a little bit more of that but i love how um one of the first things that we talk about talk about in the book is the stars in the sky the milky way the moon uh and that when you get out there and i know this from experience because like when you go out to wyoming you go out to some places out west where there's not a lot of artificial light out in the middle of nowhere. You can do that in some places in West Virginia too, I guess. Uh, but I just remember going out west to Wyoming in the middle of the night mm -hmm. and walking out from under, underneath the stars. And there, it's just, it's more than just, oh, I can see stars over here. And I see stars. It's like you, a band of stars. And then you literally see the gal, you know, you see the Milky Way, the belt. Yeah. And so the, you don't get to see that with artificial light around you all the time and i have an app on my phone that is that the kids love and it's, it's just it's just like all the the constellations and the satellites that's in the sky and the space station and all that and you can hold it up and you can find these things but you know it's hard to do that on your back deck when you live in a even a small city like parkersburg you can't get to view the things uh in the sky like you could if it was dark mm -hmm. and so the story that she's kind of sharing is there's a whole lot of beauty at night that we're missing because we're pumping ourselves full of artificial light mm -hmm. and she says um, that beauty is not the only thing the night has going for it darkness turns out to be as essential to our physical well-being as light we not only need plenty of darkness to sleep well we also need it to be well and then she goes on to talk about the circadian rhythm of waking and sleeping matches yeah. the natural cycle of day and night which affects everything from our body chemistry to our relationships. Um, when we tinker with it, we tinker with the well-being of every creature whose pupils shrink when we turn on the lights. And then she asks the question, um, to shrink the amount of darkness in our lives and our world to the point that all creation suffers from our inventiveness. Right, like we're actually hurting the rest of creation by pumping artificial light in all the time and it's if you think about it when you think about one of the major issues when it comes to uh just human beings right now when we talk just all the stress all the craziness all of that and it's being amplified because we're not finding rest mm -hmm. we're not finding those places in the darkness uh where we can actually uh focus in on the day, focus in on what's happening, and actually shut down and allow ourselves to um, breathe again. Mm -hmm. And I just had the thought that art, artificial light is the same thing as toxic positivity. Right. Like, if you want to turn that around. Yeah. So, cause, because, of, like, these two chapters, they really, really talk about sitting with uncomfortable feelings and sitting with the darkness. And um, we've talked a lot about, well, because of the chapters of the book, but toxic positivity and how too much of that, it just makes you feel crazy after a while. Because what if you don't have, like, what if you don't, can't be positive about something? Right. And everybody's just telling you, oh, it's fine. You're great. You're good. Right. No, I'm not. 
it can right. actually harm you to have so much light right. coming that, at you. That toxic positivity or the artificial light, mm -hmm. uh, it's instead of revealing things like what natural light would do or what we would say sunlight, mm -hmm. S-O-N light, would bring uh, to attention that we need to focus on and recognize and check out and maybe even spend some time with, um, artificial light covers it up. Artificial light hides it. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's one of the reasons why I hate, um, uh, what's the, the lights called? The ones that are, that are in the long cylinders, the fluorescent lights. fluorescent lights. That's why I hate fluorescent lights so much. Uh, like when you go to the doctor's office or you go to the hospital, like you hear the hum, mm -hmm. but it's, it's also, it's not, it doesn't look like normal light. No. And so and that's why they give me migraines. Yes, and drive, like three minutes, I'm it, done. It drives you nuts, uh -huh. and so um, you know, You know, we're talking about this artificial light or this toxic positivity. It actually tries to hide the things that you actually need to focus on. Mm -hmm. And real light, sunlight, real light, uh, exposes those things that we need to look at, that we need to recognize, that we need to see. Mm -hmm. I concur. You concur. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, um, you know, I love how uh, she brings up that when it comes to darkness, um, darkness preceded the light. It did in Genesis. It mm -hmm. precedes the light. There was darkness um, before there was light. And I think it's interesting. I think we need to hit this point again that... It doesn't say in the beginning in Genesis that darkness was evil, that darkness was wrong. Uh, if anything, uh, the message there is that that darkness uh, was, uh, in the Hebrew, it talks about how it's ignorant or it's unknowing. It's, it's, the, it's almost a picture of some of the places that we get in our life where there's unknowing and uncertainty. And what happens to help that is the Spirit hovered over it. Mm -hmm. And, and then things were spoken. And so uh, through the light, real light, um, it was uh, brought to um, certainty or brought to at least some sort of understanding. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, she talks about how, you know, the, the darkness is, isn't really a, it's not a bad thing. It's actually what puts us in a place where we can go into REM phases of sleep and we can see different things but uh i know you're, you'll talk about this in a second but we probably need to preface it when she talks about um the greeks had an idea that's what, I was that's what you're gonna about. do you went a page you already went past it i'm sorry how dare how you dare I? um but the greeks actually have a as part of their mythos when they talk about uh daytime going to nighttime mm -hmm. uh they actually have this myth, and I'm trying to see what her name is. Her name was Nyx. Yes, yeah. Nyx, the daughter of chaos. And basically, she rode across the sky in her chariot with black horses, and it, it turned uh, daytime to nighttime. And uh, she had children, and she named them... Well, it says the names of her children reveal their mother's character. Yeah. And it was Sleep, Death, the Tribe of Dreams, Strife, Doom, and Eros. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, that's how the Greeks would describe the nighttime taking over the day. Mm -hmm. And it shows you in our, um, just in our humanity, instead of, instead of seeing night and seeing darkness, 
as something that was created for good, we automatically, through fear, came up with some crazy stuff back in the past. Mm -hmm. And that's Greek mythology, but just think about it. Even in Christianity, think of all the craziness and all the dumb things that we have come up with because we're terrified of something that's actually mm -hmm. helpful. Um, I like um, I like how she gets into even when she talks about the stars um, that the light that we see from the stars is actually billions of miles away mm -hmm. that we're actually seeing it from the past but that was pretty sweet too Um, going back to the names of the kids, I like how she explains that most of us don't have to go that far, go far to discover how Nix's children got their names. All we have to do is wake up in the middle of the night and find ourselves unable to go back to sleep so that we have for several free hours to obsess about everything from how we'll pay our visa bills <laughs> right. to who will take care of us when we can no longer take care of ourselves. And I do that. Yeah. I worry about, oh man. Uh, she talks about how, you know, like when we wake up in those moments, the first thing we do is we kick on the lights. Mm -hmm. And that does something to our bodies. It causes our, our well, eyes. Well, it, it tells our body, hey, it's time to wake up. Right. That whole circadian rhythm thing comes right. back. So your body, you're actually waking up your body, your senses even more. So we're actually making it even harder for ourselves to go back to sleep. Right. Making it harder to uh, um, heal get healed in those moments of mm -hmm. yeah yeah because yeah. we then we have to lay there and kind of like keep going in that until we finally wear ourselves out right and instead of instead of our body resting and going through the the the, the process of you know at, it's at night when we sleep when we grow our bones it's at night when we sleep when mm -hmm. our immune system is kicking in and, and growing and working our, our our brain is is getting into REM sleep and it, it's growing and firing and if we're waking that up and and messing that up guess what happens <laughs> more stress more anxiety more you know depression and all of that because we've messed that system up. Mm -hmm. And then there's another quote by um, that Ramo from the chapter heading. Mm -hmm. says, I and everything I love have come forth from the furnace of the stars by a process so full of unfathomable life-giving grace that my earlier worrying strikes me as cheap. Having summoned the energy to put... Oh, this is her now. Having summoned the energy to put on my bathrobe and go outside, I can go to bed. The stars are in their heaven and all is right with the world. Yeah, it's the, so she went out to her, the way she um, handles that, waking up and worrying, is to go outside. Right. So she's literally going out into the darkness to deal with her darkness. Right. And then seeing the stars and, and knowing that, you know, everything in the universe that is created um, comes from, you know, there's things in us that it has the same molecular structure, the same uh, 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 atoms, and all of that. Mm -hmm. That is out in the universe as well. And so 
she looks at that and sees that and recognizes her place in the universe and is able to calm some things down and basically walk out and say, those stars that I'm seeing, they're billions of light years away. I'm seeing light from billions of years ago. And so they're still there. And if they're still there, I'm still here. I can kind of ground myself and face these things that are coming up against us. Yeah. And it's not belittling the things that you're facing in the middle of the night. Um, it's actually looking at them, seeing them, recognizing them, and being in the moment with them mm-hmm. and growing. The problem is, is we keep pushing that stuff down. Right. Deep down. And that's why it keeps coming back up again. That's why we're supposed to hop on the bus, guys. That's right. Okay, so um, this next part, I don't, where are you at? I'm on the same page. Okay. Sorry. So how did you, the story about the turtle? The story about the turtle. Yes, when her and her husband came across this, like, I forget what kind of turtle it is. Uh, It's a big Big, huge sea turtle. They came across it and she was dying. Like, she had come up to lay, to have the babies. Right. And then the... Basically the park ranger. Park ranger, the beach ranger. He (laughs) just tied chains around her legs and dragged her. Yeah. And she was getting all this stuff in her mouth, and they thought her neck was going to snap and all that. And then they watched her, like, swim into the ocean, and it says every wave brought her back to life. And then she said, it is sometimes hard to tell whether you are being killed or saved by the hands that turn your life upside down. And I literally had to stop reading. Because, I mean, like, we've been through some stuff. Right, right. Some by, you know, our own doing, like, together and separate. Other people have, you know, done some things that hurt us really badly. And I don't know, that statement right there, I just, I had to stop reading. I got really emotional about that. Yeah. Because sometimes in the midst of all that craziness, you know, you don't know how it is once you're on the other side of it. Right. You don't know. Yeah. Because at that time, it's like, because I, if I saw that with the turtle, I love that story. Like, that right. just was crazy. I would have thought there's no way she's going to survive that. But she did. Right. At least for a while. For, yeah. <laughs> we don't know about <laughs> we don't, the end. We don't know it about says the only way we're going to know is if she comes back later. Right. But anyway, that, that part was crazy. Okay. Um, I'll... I'll I want to read this one because this this next paragraph here it says every time we turn on a light after dark receptors in our eyes and skin sends messages to our adrenal our pituitary and our our penal glands to stop what they are doing and get ready for the new day fluorescent lights and computer screens are both the flicker. devil yeah they flicker <laughs> on that and off for you, air reader. at about 60 to uh, 120 cycles a second which is enough to fool your brain into thinking that the sun is coming up but even the light from a cell phone charger or a glow-in-the-dark clock can cue your body that morning is underway. Mm-hmm. When that happens, your adrenal glands start pumping more adrenaline into your bloodstream to handle the stress of an ordinary day. This tells your pituitary gland to back off on the human growth hormone your body uses mm-hmm. to repair your muscles and your bones at night. It also uh, signals your penile gland to stop making melatonin, the hormone that regulates your sleep, which, can only do, which it can only do in the dark. And so no wonder sleep aids have their own section in the supermarket. Um, 
So, you know, that's talking about natural things. But, man, if you dig into that, mm-hmm. to the spiritual side of things, yeah. and you start noticing, uh, you know, these moments when I try to turn on artificial light in those moments when I'm going through darkness and all that toxic positivity and I'm, and I'm not dealing with stuff, mm-hmm. I'm not recognizing stuff, I'm not acknowledging stuff, and I'm trying to just ignore it. Or maybe there's folks in your life that are constantly throwing that at you. Um, man, your your body's your your soul is fooling itself into thinking that everything's okay and that the sun's coming up when really you haven't. Yeah, like all that stuff is still there. Right. And you can shed you can shed as much light on it as you want to, but until you deal with and you right. you name those things. Um, which that's what she's getting ready to talk about. Um, basically, she got tired of feeling all of Nix's children flying around her head, so she renamed them. Yeah. So instead of being like, I remember what they were, like death and doom and stuff like that, she renamed hers Hush, Rest, Tribe of Stars, Slow, Truce, and Dazzle. <laughs> which I like that one. Put a little razzle-dazzle on it, right. you know? Put a little dazzle on it. So rename what scares you, what worries you, and makes you anxious. Don't send those thoughts away. Just sit there and observe them. Right. Go, like, do the opposite of what your fight or flight is telling you to do. Right. Because sometimes, um, you know, sometimes those places where it seems scary and those places where there is a lot of fear and it's forcing you to try to split things apart or, or separate yourself from um, it's pointing out things in us that needs to be looked at mm-hmm. and seen uh, it's not fun um, no and if we can if, if we can put those things on the table so to speak and look at them and see them uh, what you can do is like what she's saying like rename them or start seeing them uh, like okay this is what I've done in the past, or this is what's happened in the past, this is what's taken place in the past. I recognize it and see it, and I'm not going to be that anymore, so this is who I am now. So this may be what has been told for me in the past or what has been said to me, but this is who I am right now. This is where I'm going for. This is where I'm I'm going. So instead of, you know, uh, desperation, I'm, I'm going to be, I'm going to start saying rest. I'm going to start saying hush. I'm going to start saying I got a tribe of stars. I'm going to, things like that. Yeah, you know, make it yours, like, make it mean something to you in right. that moment. Right, um, but when we get into the next chapter, which is where I really think she gets down to some... Oh, she does. <laughs> um, she starts talking about actually learning to trust your feelings mm-hmm. your emotions i have to read this one part because okay. i thought it was kind of Go funny ahead. um she was talking about a friend of hers um that rolls over like he was rolling over all the night and he stole all the covers from his wife and she tried to pull him back and um told them told him to go back to sleep and he said i can't I think God, it's God that's bothering me. And she says, well, God's not bothering me, so get up and pray, but do it somewhere else. And she said, that's probably the best idea, but if prayer is the plea to be returned to unconsciousness, then it is just another evasion. Right. What if 
we can learn to trust our feelings instead of asking to be delivered from them. This hit me so hard, oh my gosh. What if I could follow one of my great fears all the way to the edge of the abyss, take a breath and keep going? Isn't there a chance of being surprised by what happens next? Better than that, what if I could learn how to stay in the present instead of letting my anxieties run on fast forward? Mm. Where's my hanky? <laughs> right. And she, she goes into this whole thing about how, uh, you, you know, at night or basically when you lie down to go to bed, like there's a ton of places in scripture where that's where stuff happens. And she brings up uh, that... Uh, that's where you commune with your heart. That's Psalm four four. That's where I was going to do that for you. <laughs> that's where you're uh, chastened by pain. Job thirty three nineteen. Uh, that's where you meditate in the night watches. <laughs> Psalm sixty three six. Uh, that's where uh, you water your couch with tears. Psalm six six. Uh, that's where. <laughs> do we want to read the next one? <laughs> we are adults. We're adults. Uh, that is where you beget children, give birth, pray, dream, weep, languish, and die. According to the Gospel of Luke, you... Well, I'm not going to read that part. I'm not going to read that part. <laughs> <laughs> no. Anyway. In a, a bed, in short, is where you face your nearness to or farness from God. And what I, that means to me, because we are never far from God. Right. But where we are in our minds. Right. Like, if we are so caught up in uh, anxiousness and right. worry, we've made ourselves a little bit farther right. like he has never left he is never far from us but sometimes right. we can distance ourselves in our, with our minds right we see all the things that we've hidden and those hidden things are what have set we have separated ourselves right. from because we haven't uh dealt with and and you know part of the part of of the connection that we have with father that anybody has with father i think that those moments that we lie awake at night those moments that we are in this position in the darkness and it freaks us out a little bit and we're thinking all those things part of me feels like that that's the father next to us showing us like hey um can we talk about some of this like can this is what we're going out? through yeah like we're going through it together like right and there you know it's sometimes i know that it can be easy to watch people talk about darkness and hard stuff and be like well they don't know you know x situation and we probably don't Right. I mean, she even talks about that in this book, um, but it's all it's all relevant. Right. Like what we've gone through, it, it you know it's not a contest. Right. Basically. Right. Um, but she starts talk, talking about dark emotions. Yeah, that's the chapter we're in now. The dark yeah. emotions. So she talks about, uh, starts getting into dark emotions and um, how, you know, even in, even in what's, what some would call the psychiatrist Bible, the diagnosis and statistical diagnostic. manual. Diagnostic. You said diagnosis? Sorry. <laughs> diagnostic and statistical manual uh, number four, um, which is sometimes called the, psych, uh, the psychiatrist Bible. It talks about when po folks, folks go through the dark emotion grief that they're allowed, you know, two months for symptoms such as sadness and insomnia, mm -hmm. loss of appetite. But if their grief goes longer than that, then they may be diagnosed with depression and treated with prescription drugs. Mm -hmm. So the dark emotion like grief or sadness or depression mm -hmm. and all of that, and instead of that being seen as a 
an emotion. It's seen as some, seen as something bad. Grief, right. fear, despair. All of those have gained the reputation of being bad. Yeah. And, uh, you know, being dark. Being dark, and so therefore, we, well, you you got to take meds for it. Now, listen, I'm not. We're not saying in any way that taking prescription drugs for from your psychiatrist because you have some depression issues or anything. We're not saying any of that's no, bad. No, definitely not. But well, and and I, I would say a lot of. Psychiatry- but you can't. But the bottom line is you can't put a time limit on it, and that's what that diagnostic book was saying. Right. Like that was the point. Right. And the, this. Uh, and you can't put a time frame or a time limit on how long you experience grief or right. any of those things. Right. And um, the book that. Um, Barbara Taylor is taken from the healing through the dark emotions, which is by another psycho, a modern, Miriam, Miriam Green. Yeah, a, a modern psych, psychotherapist. She's saying that, um, you know, instead of trying to hide or press back these emotions, it's time to walk through them. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, this whole idea that um, that that tied with grief, despair, fear, all of that has even been labeled as shameful it's it's a shame to have those feelings mm-hmm. it's a shame to to walk in those things and that gets us into the field that you know well that, that's even like with addictions right same thing right you have to be ashamed of it right and you know Hi, Jen. now we're now we're going to be talking about you know the church side of things because um when the church when we start talking about fear and grief and despair and these type of emotions in the church, normally what happens is, um, I'm trying to say it nicely, but I don't know if there's any way to say it. Basically, folks start saying things, well, you just don't have enough faith. Yeah. They'll say it nicer than that. Sometimes. Well, you just need to have some more faith. You just need to uh, let go and let, that's, I hate that. Let, just let go, brother, and let God. Let him what? <laughs> What does that even, when you think about it, and, and trust me, I have said that before in the past, and and uh, it hurts sometimes when I hear somebody else say that to somebody who's hurting, and, I, and knowing that myself, that I have said it, because let's just be honest, we just didn't really care, or and we didn't know what else to do. It was too hard to sit with someone's feelings, and that's right. uh, something that comes up in a few pages, is right. that it's it's too uncomfortable Right. For them to listen to your pain. And so when people start saying things like, let go, let God, just, you know, have more faith, things like that, that spiritual bypassing is what they use here. It's it's using religion to dodge the dark emotions instead of letting it lead us to embrace what's happening mm-hmm. as the best, most de- uh, demanding spiritual teachers that we may ever know. Going through stuff like this and walking through stuff like this... The lessons that we learn from it and the growth that we gain from it is bigger than just trying to let go of it. She says the inabil- it is the inability to bear dark emotions, like to handle them, like sit with them, um, that causes many of our most significant problems. In other words, not the emotions themselves. Right. When we cannot tolerate the dark... We try all kinds of artificial lights, including but not limited to drugs, alcohol, shopping, shallow sex, and in hours in front of the computer or TV. There are no dark emotions, just unskillful ways of coping with emotion we cannot bear. These, the emotions themselves are conduits 
conduits of pure energy that wants something from us, to wake us up, to tell us something we need to know, to break the ice around our hearts, to move us to act. Right. And I, I just kind of, I wrote this on the side of the book because I wanted to make this statement. In, your emotions are not evil mm-hmm. or demonic. No. Because I, I, I know, be, I've grown up in church my entire life, and there's been moments where things like that have been said, and it is so unhealthy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've even been in moments where things of that nature have been said. You better watch yourself, brother, because if you keep walking in that, this is going to open a door <laughs> into something else. And, and not getting any help, not getting any any momentum at all, and just coming home and doing these things, like sitting in front of the TV for hours because you feel completely uh, alone alone, and and not knowing what to do. And so the only way you can turn off all those thoughts, because you were told you can't have those thoughts, you can't have those emotions, and nobody so you got to hide sit, it. And nobody would sit with you in those emotions. Right. So what's left for people to do right. but some of those Coping mechanisms, right. which is another way to evade the problem and escape the problem. Yeah. yeah, yep. To to you know to to escape the problem or to escape the hurt that's been done to you, mm-hmm. and because nobody will you know how many how many folks do we know you know it's all it's things start coming out now in the last you know decade or so, but how many folks have actually been hurt by stuff from the church, and as soon as they mention those things that they were hurt by in the church. People just belittle it and say, "Well, it, you know, it wasn't. You know, we, we're told all the time. You know, you know, the church isn't the four walls, and then you know, all the people are the church. And then when you say I've been hurt by the church, well, yeah, well, the church isn't. You know, that's just not all people. Yeah. But you just said, you know, and so we just we bypass it instead mm-hmm. of walking through with people because it's uncomfortable and we don't want right. to talk about it. Yeah. Um. But. You know, she talks about how connecting with folks that, you know, can listen and can can walk, go for a walk, can talk, can can actually have in-depth conversations about this. Um, actually uh, not being so introverted. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which, she said, when I stopped trying to block my sadness and let it move me instead, it led me to a bridge with people on the other side. Yeah. And that's exactly what happened to us. And it was from the first moment we walked into what is now Hope Community Church, right. even be- way before that ever happened, in like the hardest time of our life, I knew. Like I just was on my knees and I just wept. And it's not because there was any crazy yeah. anything going on at church. I mean, at the time, they, we just, they just had like YouTube videos for worship. So it had absolutely nothing to do with any like presentation, right? But it was the, that community, it was that group, and the openness and love and acceptance that they had been cultivating over years, right? And I just, I think I cried the entire the entire service, right? And that was, you know, sitting with all of my feelings and finally breaking out out of that dark cave and it led us to a bridge with people on the other side that knew that had gone through that themselves right and that's so important if you're you know i'm not encouraging anybody to leave anything right but if you are with a group that does not listen to you when you bring up things 
you need to search for somebody that for a group that will right because the, the this whole uh, this whole thing about spiritual bypassing this whole thing of just pushing it off and you know being told that you don't have enough faith or being told just to let go of it and let just let God um, one I want to say that in every place in scripture where there's an interaction between man and God, it's just that there's interaction. It's not it's it's not letting go of anything. If, if you read the entire book of Psalms in those places, David's at some point is ticked off and yelling. I mean, you can read that from from some of the the things. He's angry, even angry towards God. And in those moments, there's confrontation, there's connection, there's talking. So there's just no letting go. It's actually no. I'm going to get in the face of. And the father, just like any good father would, right? Jesus said he's a good father. He's not going to do, you know, bad stuff because he's a good dad. Mm -hmm. Just like a good dad would, they'll listen and talk it out. And that's and so if anyone's telling you to let go and forget about it, they've they are not presenting the father that Jesus presented in the gospel. No, because that's not what God does to us. Right. He doesn't say, "Well, if you have more faith." Yeah. <laughs> that's that's not it. That's not it. Uh, um, but this was a great part um, in when she was talking about that community that she found um, watching them ride the waves of their own dark emotions I learned that sadness does not sink a person it is the energy a person a person spends trying to avoid sadness that does that right so like all our effort to not think about it and all that stuff that's actually making it way worse right because we're spending so much energy on not thinking about it. Right. Of staying busy in the daytime with all the distractions and all that. Right. Yeah. But that was, I just thought that was crazy the way she put that. But it's the energy we spend trying to avoid our problem. Right. And she, she even talks about when she was in the process of becoming uh, Episcopal priest. Mm -hmm. That she was in a year-long program that had supervisors... And uh, they were doing work with, um, uh, trying to see what they were doing work. They were basically doing work people with People with folks. recovering addicts, people with AIDS, elderly. Yeah. And, all, all of the three of those. And so after spending time with these folks and working with these folks, it comes to the end of that year. And basically her supervisor is like, you, you know, I'm not going to be able to uh, recommend you because you, you just... You are not, you're not sufficiently in touch with your feelings. Right. Which slapped me in the face. Because then she reads. Then she goes, <laughs> Why, Nick? Let's she talk goes about through it, this, this process that within a week she starts drawing out all these emotions that she's been hiding uh, from rage. And where, to, they, and where she feels them yes, in her body. Like, yes. that was cool. <laughs> from rage to misery to sadness. Uh, then she started writing down even... Uh, joy mm -hmm. and those places and you'll notice I actually wrote do I need to do this question mark <laughs> over here on the side um, but she worked her way through all these dark emotions uh, worked her way through all these things and recognizing uh, where they connect where, where she sees those um, and where she connects with them actually on her body mm -hmm. uh, and then she put them all up on the refrigerator and she saw how the interactions between what folks would call dark emotions and and good emotions, how they actually connect, and they actually walking things out healthy, um, actually cause growth and cause you to move forward and cause you to, to recognize those places um, in the darkness where you move 
closer to real white. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. She also talked. About, I love how she talked about how uh, she got into the emotion of embarrassment and also daring. being daring, and how when she tried new things and if she failed, uh, that's where embarrassment came in. But if she, but if she could get over the fear of failure, there was nothing in her way. So she started to learn that in those times of embarrassment, it's actually just teaching her to dare more. Right. Um, it's letting go of fear, and right above that, she talks about. For her, the difference between anxiety and excitement was her willingness to let go of fear. Hmm. Sometimes when I was anxious, all I had to do was take a deep breath and my nervousness turned to anticipation. That's good. Yeah. That was good. Yeah. Hmm. So where are y'all in this? We have highlighted and underlined so much. I keep losing either I'm either losing my highlighter or the kids steal it. I don't know. So yeah. we're trying to like sift through all our highlights. The, well, yeah, and see like what we really need to bring up. Um, and I found one. You found one. Yeah, that's, that's right here. Okay, you go for you it. You want to read it? No, you can do it. Okay. Um, the importance of letting emotions flow, even the loud and messy ones. Because if they're kept from making their noise and maybe even tossing the furniture, they can harden like plaque in a coronary artery, blocking anything else that tries to come through. Eruptions are good news, the signal that darkness will not stay buried. If you can stand the upsetting energy, you may be allowed to watch while dark and light come back into balance. And that's where that whole thing of hop on the bus, Gus, sitting in that subway station on the bench, not getting on. Right. But watching. Watching. Watching the anxiety, watching the stress, watching those things. Get on the bus. And, you know, normally in the past, you would hop on the bus, too, and go wherever they take you to. And I would go a lot of places. Yes. Like, who? But, you know, standing back and letting letting them go and you waiting to get to where you want to go next, mm-hmm. the next place you want to go. And the statement, let emotions flow, even the loud and messy ones. Especially the loud and messy yes. ones. And I, I tend to, like, that's my thing. I try to hide the nasty, loud. Hey, I, I try to hide all the loud and messy emotions that come up because you know, um, not not you know, saying that anyone taught that to me. It's just what was around me at the time. Mm-hmm. You just that, that's not what a man does, right? Right. You pick up on what the your just, environment around right. you. Right. So. And that's not that's not a knock on on anyone in my family because that's what they were given to. That's right. what they were told to do. Right. Um, and so it's looking at things now trying to go wrestle through that and go you know i just need to let some of that it's okay because she tells me all the time it's okay to cry and that's it's okay to talk about your feelings it's okay to talk about that it's it's so bad sometimes and i'll be honest it's so bad sometimes because we've had conversations we need to talk about those things and let those things out but sometimes i still bottle them in so much and then they just come out and then it's like a mess because it's like I held them in so long. And yeah. it's kind of hard to... And so learning... And when you how, do erupt, it's painful. Yes. It doesn't come out... It definitely doesn't come out the way you want it to. Right. And right. so it's better to just talk about it when it's, know, going, when it's on. going on. And that's been a hard lesson for me to, to learn. So I think I do need to draw... And I'm the opposite. When something <laughs> makes me mad, buddy, I'm going to tell you about it. And sometimes that's good and sometimes that's bad. <laughs> 
So maybe I'm thinking I do need to draw out the characters with all the emotions. Here, here, we start now. This is Mick. <laughs> Eyes, glasses, beard. Here you go, honey. I'll start. I'll start working on that. Here's your heart. It's my homework. <laughs> um, but I don't um, even know where we are now. <laughs> we just well, we just finished on letting our emotions flow, even though. Oh, okay. Messages. Okay. Um. But not being, but she also goes into not being afraid, and this is a good lesson, especially because because listen, we're talking mostly to Christians here, and this is where empathy and sympathy. I feel like we've lost it because on on Sundays at Hope Community, we've been talking about starting a hope rebellion against cynicism and 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 all the strife and bitterness and all the stuff that seems to be the norm, and we know that that's not supposed to be the norm. That humanness, being a human, is actually living in who we are created by. Uh, who 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 we are created by in the Father, and so you know our connection should be love and 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 peace in those things, and so um, our heart should be empathetic with other people, sympathetic with other people. So we should not be afraid to be around people mm-hmm. who are in pain uh, and connect with them so, and learn from one another in our pain. Mm-hmm. And I just want to read this because this was really good. Um, what such people stand to discover is the close relationship between individual heartbreak and the brokenheartedness of the world. While those who are frightened by the primal energy of dark emotions try to avoid them, becoming more and more cut off from the world at large, those who are willing to wrestle with angels break out of their isolation by dirtying their hands with the emotions that rattle them the most. And I feel like that's what I'm seeing as I scroll Facebook, I'm, I'm seeing the distinction of people that are dealing with individual heartbreak and those that are dealing with the brokenheartedness of the world. Right. And I see the ones that are wrestling with angels. I don't really know what that means in this context, but, um, you know, some of, so I'm seeing some people break out of isolation of being in that tox, that toxic light. Right. They're coming out of isolation, dirtying their hands with the emotions that rattle them the most because there are some things that are happening in our country and in our world that should rattle you. Yeah. You should be very rattled. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I don't really, we don't really do this on here, but like I want to challenge you to think about it, which, which, um, I don't know, category or whatever is your heart in? Are you dealing with your individual heartbreak? Things that only affect you? Or are you wrestling and dealing with the brokenheartedness of the world? That's, I mean, that's like a personal question. Right. That's not like a <laughs> answer on the live. Yeah. Um, sorry, I was just thinking. But um, I love how she says in... On the next page, going right with that is the hardest part about doing any of these things is to do them without insisting uh, that your new teachers make you feel better by acting more cheerful when you're around. After years of being taught that the way to deal with painful emotions is just to get rid of them, it can take a lot of reschooling to learn to sit with them instead. Finding out more from those who feel them, uh, feel them, and what they have learned by uh, sleeping in the wilderness. Uh, that those who sleep in comfortable houses may never know. And so that's that whole thing of, of being empathetic and sympathetic in those moments. Um, we're actually learning 
when uh, we sit down with folks and we talk with folks, uh, we're actually learning. Because then sometimes it does, you know, we do put ourselves in a comfortable position mm-hmm. and and sometimes we need to get uncomfortable. Sometimes we need to have our um, our feathers ruffled, so to speak. And right. we need to learn how to sleep outside in the wilderness every once in a while to kind of wake us up to see how things really are mm-hmm. in some the, of these instances. Because the wilderness, the darkness is not bad. Right. It's not, yeah. We've been told for so long that the wilderness, the darkness, and all that is, is scary and not to be a part of it. But honestly, that's where a lot of people are. And um, that's where some of the greatest lessons to be learned by. Everyone that I know right now in this moment, like this past year, I think about our friends and connections that we have. And and I'm looking at them and, and the folks that give me the most joy and I celebrate with them. All of their stories start in a place of darkness. Mm-hmm. And how they work their way out. Um, of course, because of the goodness of Father, but because recognizing and seeing these things and working their way out and standing on the other side. And now their first, it's like their first uh, reaction is not to go, hey, celebrate me. Their first reaction is, hey guys, I I know what it's like to be in that dark place. Let me tell you about it. Um, let, me, let me tell you how I got out so you can kind of see what's your way out. Um, what's your way to learn from those moments? Now, there's a quote by Ann Voskamp that I really like. It says, um, shame dies when stories are told in safe places. Right. And I love that. And I'm thankful for our safe places. Right. And if you need a safe place, you know, we're available to talk. Yeah. Um, you know, anytime. We'll listen. But let's let's talk about... This is the last thing she hits on mm-hmm. is is translation and transformation. Yes, and this is a um, comes from a book by a guy named Ken Wilber. Yeah, yeah. This is the uh, he's talking about basically two important functions of religion. And this is the first function which he which he calls translation offers people a new way of translating the world around them so that their lives take on more meaning. Mm-hmm. Um, and so basically, you know how we would see that is like we translate our hardships as you know like when we look at when Jesus is talking when he says blessed uh, blessed are the poor in spirit or uh, for you know blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of God blessed are those who mourn for they will be comfort- comforted there's there's places in the beatitudes where it shows us that even in these dark places there's still blessing there's still movement there's still mm-hmm. strength there's still hope there um, and but then he says that translation is not the only function but there's also something called transformation and that's not as comforting because it starts dealing with it yourself. says it exists not to comfort the self, but to dismantle it. Right. And that's kind of like when we were talking about the ego mm-hmm. uh, from the last book that we were reading through about Mary Magdalene, um, the difference between the ego and the heart. And so if we stay in translation mode, we're going to get in this thing where, you know, where it becomes almost positive toxicity or toxic positivity. You, you, no, that was fine. Was that, that was fine? Yeah, that's fine. Um, and, and that's what that can turn into. And, and honestly, that's a lot of places that the church is in. We, we, in t- instead of 
recognizing those dark places where we can learn from something and actually transform the ego and be more led by the heart, we kind of hang out on the translation and we just hang out on and trying to make everything positive, trying to make everything uh, look better than what it actually is because sometimes there's things that need to be transformed. There's mm-hmm. things that need to be uh, it's not that they're it's, it's not that they're not working but maybe they need to be made better or, or added some things to it or some growth that needs to take place and that's never going to happen if you just stay in translation mode you've got to transform as well and transform is 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 hitting the ego pretty hard mm-hmm. because the ego wants to stay in that place of artificial light the ego wants to because it's the where it's the most propped up um, but uh, the moment we start looking at being transformed is the moment we got to look at those places uh, that the father's indicating and saying, hey, listen, um, you see that right there? Let's work on that. Let's move forward in that. Let's, let's, let's change. Mm-hmm. And that does not sell well. No. <laughs> no. It doesn't sell well at all. Um, and that's what I love because um, she recently taught at the Evolving Faith Conference and she said, I love hope, I just hate it when it's used to sell things. And that's the, <laughs> that's the, the translation aspect of, right. of this. And we want to move into transformation. Yeah. He says, that he said about translation, this is the function of religion that sells books and grows churches because it strengthens the believer's sense of self, holding out the promise of contentment to anyone who can live by this new translation. In this mo- in this mode, religion offers hope that the self may be saved. <laughs> but then he talks when he's talking about um, transformation. He says this function of religion does not sell well because it does not locate the human problem in the spiritual shortfall of the world. It locates the problem in the spiritual grasping of the self, which is always looking for ways to improve its position. Yeah. Translation is being marketed as transformation. Which is why those who try to live on the spiritual equivalent of fast food have to keep going back for more and more. There is no filling a hole that was never designed to be filled, but only to be entered into. Where real transformation is concerned, the self is not made content. The self is made toast. <laughs> uh. Uh. That's pretty good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then like right here. It says, um, even the crowds around Jesus vanished once it became clear where he was headed. Right. He had 12 disciples the night he was arrested. Three days later, only one was left. Having promised uh, Jesus he would take Mary home once there was nothing she or anyone else could do, where did the others go? To find new lives with someone who did not ask so much of them, or at least to save the lives they still had. Listen, these two chapters They're pretty were rough. Like, I got through the first one, and I was like, you know, maybe we shouldn't have done two chapters <laughs> each time, because, so we may have to rethink that, because yeah. uh, this was, this was a, a lot yeah. of really good stuff. So We it, usually don't stay on here this long. Yeah, so it puts us in a place to where, you know, the thing about darkness is, if you let it, you'll start looking inward, and... It's those places when we look inward that we encounter the Father mm-hmm. and the Holy Spirit starts working on us 
and things start to shift, things start to change, and we actually start doing good things. Um, the entire when we look at the entire Sermon on the Mount and those moments where Jesus was teaching, um, a lot of people see that he was teaching, you know, a new law or new rules. And really, he's not teaching new rules. He, if you look, he starts with the Beatitudes, then he goes into, you know, talking about how to pray and talking about being the light and and all these different things. And all of that is you focusing in uh, and seeing. Uh, who you really are, who the Father says you are, seeing that he loves you and he values you for who you are. Um, Jesus is actually sharing the Father's heart. And when we go inward, what he does is he begins to show us, listen, when you go inward and start being the real you, what happens is these are the things that you'll start doing. And so he kind of releases a manifesto. He kind of shows you like, listen, life, uh, real life in agape, when you begin to love yourself for who you were created to be, what happens is from that outflow, that flow from the Father, well, from that outflow, what happens is you begin to love, you begin to change, and you begin to do these things. And then he even shows that there's miracles that happen, there's uh, other things that takes place. And so it shows us who we actually are intended to be. It shows us what humans are. And humans are meant to live in meant to live in agape, meant to love. And so um, the, the path to love sometimes is, is walking through the dark. And those places that we got to check our ego. Mm -hmm. Those places where we have to wrestle with our pain. We have to wrestle with our hurt. Wrestle with uh, stuff from the past. And uh, grow from it. And so these are two chapters that are pretty, that are pretty hard. And we don't want to leave on a, on a rough note. We want to leave, leave on a good note that um, there's hope. And uh, Yeah, through all, I mean, through all of this. Yeah. There, because once you, once you learn to hop on the bus, <laughs> that is my new favorite. That's my favorite thing ever thing. since Dwayne said that. <laughs> hop on the bus, Gus. Once we learn and we practice hopping on the bus, it's almost like we conquer. Yeah. We conquer things. Yeah. And so, I mean, that's kind of, that's a lot of hope I, in my mind. Right. Right. Because so, I'm not always going to be ruled by my emotions. Like, not just emotions, but like my brain. Right. So, that's hopeful for me. Because <laughs> this brain can really go to a lot of places, you know? So, thank you guys for hanging out with us. Yeah, if you stayed on this entire time... You deserve. Uh, you rock. You deserve something. Um, send me, send me a, send me your address, and we'll send you something <laughs> for staying on this long. Um, we will be back. Not. Uh, she's gonna give you the actual. I don't know. That'll that be, be better. That will be the. Tw are we gonna do like stay on the same schedule we're on? Yeah. Okay, yeah. that'll be the twenty seventh. The twenty seventh. So we will read chapters five and six. For that week. That'll be good. Um, and also don't forget Sunday. This Sunday we are continuing to do our series on the Hope Rebellion. And that's going to be fun. That Sunday's at 1030 on the Hope Community page. So check that out. Other than that, thank you guys for hanging out with us. Yes. So great. I'm going to turn you off now. <laughs> We're going to go watch a movie. See you guys. Bye. <laughs>